Today we're concluding our series of messages called All in the Family. We're in message number five. And we've been talking about the family from a variety of angles, including mom and dad and different age groupings of the children, as well as the crucial influence that other adults have in the family mix. So parents are primary, but there's also grandparents, there's aunts, there's uncles, there's other influential adults that kind of fall within that sphere of influence. You know, when you perform a wedding, you're often asked to speak from the text I'm about to read. Even though that text is not specifically written to married people, it often kind of is used at wedding ceremonies. But the text itself is actually talking to believers and it's specifically written in the context of how to exercise the spiritual gifts appropriately. The text is talking about love, but not love as we typically hear about it in our culture, because normally in our world, we hear about love where it's based in the other person or in the other thing that I love. And so I feel love towards them or towards that thing because of what that person or what that thing does for me. I love you because because of this, that, or the other thing. Now, on the surface, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but that kind of love is distinctly limited. So I want you to listen to a different kind of love. God's kind of love is being spoken about. So if you have your Bible or your device, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, well-known passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, and listen to how this is, in fact, the exact opposite kind of love. Love is patient, it says in verse 4. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes always perseveres. God's kind of love, as this text talking about, is the exact opposite of the kind of love we typically hear about. God's love is active. God's love is not dependent in any way on the other person or the other thing. It's all based in the person doing the loving. And so I'd like us to apply this kind of biblical thinking to all in the family. I've performed quite a few weddings in my day. And when couples walk down the aisle, they walk down the aisle, in my experience, with the full intention of doing life together all the way to the grave. This is normally what's in their heart. I also have had the privilege of dedicating many children when parents bring their child and they and their children are dedicated to the Lord. And I've never found a family, uh, a set of parents or an individual parent who said, you know, we're just test driving this whole family thing. We're going to do a few laps with the kid, and if it doesn't work out, we'll ship this kid somewhere else and go our separate ways. I've never found a set of parents or parent with that kind of attitude. Really, they're going into this saying we want to build together a loving, God-honoring family. This is their intention. But then stuff happens, and life happens. 
And part of that is caused by the dark side in us. Part of it is caused by just the circumstances and the pressures of life. And sometimes it's just plain old because we choose to sin. And pretty soon harsh words are said to other family members that we love. Promises get broken. Trust gets undermined. Feelings get hurt. Money gets misused. Sex gets withheld. Tempers don't get tempered. And families and relationships start to break down. And I would suggest that the choices that people make, especially at the opening signs of difficulty, may well determine the future of that family unit and succeeding generations, because it often trickles down, we all know this, to the next generation. And so what families do at these early signs of breakdown are significant. And so when these early signs occur, whether it's between a husband and wife, or parents and kids, or between siblings, or between friends, or between people that you work with, or between people that you go to church with and worship together with, At that point, we have a choice to go down one of two paths, one of two roads, and they lead to very different destinations. And the first path is what I would call the one we sort of just naturally default to, and that is the path easily traveled. It's the path easily traveled. And it's kind of like the path where you go, what other road would I take path? And here's how it works. Let me, paint a, let me paint a picture for you. So let's just imagine together there's a married couple named Bill and Sue. And Bill and Sue have been married for a number of years, and they've noticed, they've both noticed that they're drifting apart. And it's because they both have very hectic work schedules. It's because they're very engaged in life and volunteer things and stuff of that nature. Their kids are engaged in things. And all of these things are pressuring their relationship, and they've been drifting apart. Well, Bill is concerned about this, and so he says, I need to do something to stop this drift, and so I'm going to have an event this coming Friday. We're going to go on a date together. We're going to have a special night together. We're going to talk about this stuff and try to reverse this process. And so he talks to Sue, and he says, let's do this on Friday night. COVID has made it so that you know, up until now, there wasn't too many restaurants open. They're starting to open it up. Let's go out for a special dinner together. And then I've got some surprises that we're going to do together afterwards, and we'll just have a wonderful night together. I'll make all those reservations and plans, and you get a babysitter for the night. Deal? And Sue, she's excited too, and she says, deal. Bill makes all his arrangements. He's got everything set up, and Sue talks to their regular babysitter and gets a partial commitment from her. She's a 15-year-old girl. She's always been reliable. The girl says to her, listen, I think I can do it, but we'll need to talk later to confirm this. Well, Sue is really busy with life, and she kind of forgets, and she sort of thinks to herself, well, this girl has never bailed on us before. It should all be fine. And so Friday rolls around, and Bill and Sue wake up, and they're very excited. They're going to go to do their work and get their stuff done, and then they have this great night pants planned together, and all of a sudden, the babysitter calls and says, I have to cancel. She's sorry, but such and such came up. Well, Bill and Sue are really disappointed. 
Bill heads off to work, and as he's at work, something dark starts to grow in Bill. And he thinks to himself, you know, I'm the one that suggested this date in the first place. I noticed that we've been drifting apart. Half the husbands in this world would never even notice this stuff. They'd be totally clueless. They wouldn't have cared. I did my part. Why couldn't Sue do her half? She only had one thing to do. And Bill has a bit of an attitude going on. Dallas Willard calls it our readiness to sin factor. And it's the path easily traveled. And we all have this dark side like a gravitational pull that draws us towards sin. And it begins to build in Bill through the day. So Bill of the Attitude, after supper, says to Sue, am I ever glad there's that new movie on Netflix? And he goes to his man cave, he slams the door, and he plunks down on the couch. And he takes the first step down the path easily traveled. It's a step we call avoidance. It's pulling away, it's stepping back, It's getting some distance, and it just seems to make perfect sense to Bill to do that. He's hurt, he's disappointed, he sits in his man cave drinking a big mug of self-righteousness as he watches his silly movie. And this is one of the most common reactions to the first sign of friction in a relationship. We pull back, we protect ourselves, we avoid the other party. They didn't do such and such for me, and this is my reaction. And it happens in marriages, it happens between parents and children, it happens between siblings, it happens with the person that you work with every day, it happens with the people we go to church with. Well, back to the story. During the day, Sue is busy. She's disappointed too. And so she's busy trying to figure out if there's a plan B that will work. But now Bill has slammed the door. He's on the couch and he has a great big do not disturb sign plastered across his forehead. And Sue does what seems to be perfectly natural to her. Like a good poker player, she calls Bill and raises him and she assumes the worst. You know, Bill just doesn't treasure me like he used to. This is what the problem is in our relationship. All he does is work. That's what's most important to him. This date night was just an appeasement dinner by him. He didn't really mean it. Well, I'll show him. I'll get the kids to bed, and then I'll poke my head in his man cave, and I'll tell him I'm not feeling well, and I'll go sleep in the guest room. And Sue has an attitude going on in her, too, and it just seems to make perfect sense to Sue because it's the road, the path, easily traveled. And this is what wounded people do. Meanwhile, Bill is in his little man cave pouting, waiting for Sue to come and admit how she messed up. But when that doesn't happen and she heads off to the guest room, Bill immediately exits to stage three, hostility. I can't believe what Sue is doing. I just can't take these games anymore. You know, I've got options and I might just have to use one of them. And these these are the actions and this is the language 
of a relational breakdown. And I would imagine that everyone listening to this can relate to this at some level. Because like I said, this fabricated story is an illustration of what happens between husbands, it happens in wives, it happens between parents and children, it happens with friends, it happens with people that we work with, it happens with people that we go to church with. And it just typically starts with a small thing. And I know right now what all the teenagers that are watching this are thinking. They're thinking to themselves, I will never, ever cancel on babysitting again. You know, it doesn't take much to get the ball rolling. Someone's late for dinner. Teenager stays out too late for curfew. Something gets said. There's a disagreement in the small group over what Bible study you're going to study. And whatever the issue is. We come to this relational intersection and we take the path easily traveled and we just sort of go on reflex and things get said and things get done. Proverbs chapter 14 says there's a way that seems right to a man or woman but the end is it leads to death. And we end up with a hardened heart. We end up with a tombstone over the relationship or a diminished relationship much less than what God intends for it to be. And some of us, quite frankly, are in avoidance mode right now. And it started out maybe with the uneasy ride in the car last night to pick up food for supper. Something got said. Or you tossed and turned before going to sleep last night and you have begun to assume the worst about someone else in the family. Or you're thinking right now, I cannot believe what that person that claims to be a Christian did to me. And we foster up this growing hostility or contempt And there's a natural flow to this thing, a sad but natural flow to this thing. One thing leads to the other. And here's the key. When this flow starts, it leaves you where you never wanted to be. And it leaves you where you never dreamed your relationship would end up. When that couple walked down the aisle, they never dreamed they would come to this place of contempt and hostility towards one another. And it's kind of like dominoes that you hit and they just plink, 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 plink all the way to the end. This is not God's plan. And he suggests, and we're going to look at another way, it's in the short term typically harder. In fact, it's probably much harder. But you know, I don't think it's any accident that today is Pentecost Sunday. God knows and does not expect us to live out these kind of relationships in our own strength. He calls on us to live this way by the power of the Spirit, by being filled with the Spirit. And when we surrender in this way and he fills us in an ongoing way, he helps us to do it, to lead a holy life, to lead a surrendered life, to lead a life where we serve as he's called us and gifted us to serve. And I understand we cannot control the other person's response. But God calls us to a second path. 
and it's the road less traveled. The first one is the road easily traveled. The second one is the road or the path less traveled. And Jesus would say there is another path. And when the family or whatever that relationship is begins to break down, when there's those first harsh words, when there's those first hurt feelings, when that first lie has been exposed, the first thing to do when we're walking in the power of the Spirit is to not walk down the path easily traveled and to exercise sort of our reflex reaction, which is to avoid that other person. In fact, what the path less traveled is, is what exactly what 1 Corinthians 13 talks about. The exact opposite. Move towards them. Don't avoid them. Move towards the spouse who has just said that hurtful thing. Move towards the kid who has just frustrated you for the 10th time in the last three days. Move towards that parent, son or daughter, who you tried to talk to, but it just seems like they're not listening. Mom isn't listening, dad isn't listening, they're not listening, even though you tried so hard to communicate. Or pick up the phone, call that friend that you're estranged from, and say, I I'd like to spend some time with you. And when you're with them, try to restore the relationship. Don't avoid them. In the power of the Spirit, move towards them. And as unnatural as that feels, as hard as it is to do, as much courage as it takes, as much humility that must be displayed, I believe the Bible teaches that God will help us to do this. So let me just, there's a number of passages we could look at. Let me just very quickly cherry pick three of them. And I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 5, but it's very important to understand the context of this again, because in Matthew chapter 3, at the end of the chapter, it says the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes on Jesus. And then in chapter 4, it says the Spirit is leading him. And then Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount, and he's saying, listen, in the power of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, as Jesus was. This is how I call on you to live, in the power of the Spirit. And so Jesus says this to us about relationships in chapter 5, 23 and 24. He says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. And so Jesus says, you're in church, and the Spirit reminds you specifically of a relational breakdown in, with someone else. What should you do? Jesus basically is saying, whatever the pastor is talking about at that moment, whatever the singer is singing, even if it's right in the middle of the offering, the Spirit reminds you, with God's help, determine at that moment to stop and say, I'm going to go and see what I can do in the power of the Spirit to heal that relational breakdown. In fact, a great way to start with that person might be, I was right in the middle of church, and the Spirit of God reminded me of what happened, and you're so important to me that I stopped whatever I was doing, and I came to talk with you. This is a very dramatic teaching for Jesus because in our culture, we have a very different set of etiquette rules. In our culture, 
once in a while. We don't want to do this too often, but once in a while, it's pretty acceptable for people to get up in the middle of a meeting and go get a drink if they're thirsty or to go and check on their kid in the nursery or go to the washroom. And again, we don't want to do it too often, but nobody really sees this as a big deal. In Jesus' day, this was a huge deal. It was very formal as they met with the rabbi. It was very strict in terms of its attendance pattern. It was very strict in terms of your attentiveness during the service. You didn't get up and move when the rabbi is speaking. But Jesus says, listen, this is so important that right in the middle of church, Let's say you're walking up to give your offering and all of a sudden the Spirit of God reminds you of something very specific about a breakdown in a relationship between you and another. It's perfectly legit to just stop what you're doing, put your offering down, leave, go and find that person and try to work things out. And so, you know, as I'm watching this sermon, it's a recorded sermon, as I'm watching this sermon, if I see in the corner of the screen the numbers going down of people that are watching because they are convicted and pointed out to by the Spirit and they're going to meet with someone, may the Lord bless you as you go. May you know that the Lord is pleased with you, that you are seeking to be right with your brother or sister. Let, may you know that he will help you do what needs to be done. A second passage is Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you, if he listens to you, you've won your brother over. And so there are very specific instructions about how to do this. Don't let a lot of time go by. Take the initiative. Go in private. Don't gossip or talk to others about it. It just makes the situation worse. Go and see them with an attitude of reconciliation. Go and see them, not with the attitude, I'm going to make them eat crow, I'm going to win in this situation. Go with an attitude of, I want to be one again with that person. And if, it, if you continue reading the passage, it says, if it doesn't go so well, take another person with you, maybe the, the leader of your small group or one of the elders in the church, and say, what can we do to get back together into healthy relationship? A third one is Ephesians chapter 4. Again, well-known, 26 and 27. Paul says to the church at Ephesus, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, someone has hurt you and you're choked about this, you're upset, you're angry about it. In that condition, let me talk to you, Paul says, about how to avoid sinning. Deal with the issue soon. And so, you know, you always hear the expression, some couples will say, well, we have this pact never to go to sleep angry. And of course, this is the couple that have been up for 96 hours straight, but they never go to sleep angry. I don't think that's exactly what the passage is suggesting. I think scripture is saying, don't let a lot of time go by. And so sometimes the really wise thing to do, if you're really tired and really hungry and you're angry at this person, maybe the wisest course is just to take a little time out, have something to eat, something healthy to eat, have a little snooze, even sleep, and then as quickly as reasonably possible, deal with the issue. 
Paul's really saying the longer you let it go untended, the greater the likelihood you'll fall into that pattern of avoidance, which then leads to assuming the worst, which then leads to uh, um, being hostile towards the person. Jesus says the road less traveled is important enough to leave the church service, go in private, Get help if you need to. Do it as soon as you reasonably can. The road that Jesus talks about means going first to him, I think, in prayer and asking him, would you examine my life first and remove any sinful, inappropriate choices out of my life? Forgive me for those. And then admit very clearly, I'm not up to this, Lord. I need your help. Would you fill me with your spirit? I need your power. Help me then to choose to move towards that person that I'm at odds with, to say, I want to seek to be reconciled to them rather than avoiding them. Lord, help me to turn over every stone that I can to make this relationship right. And if they still won't have me, I will be at peace because you helped me to do what you wanted me to do. And again, I understand that, you know, we can do all this with God's help and the other person might still reject us and go their own way. I just gently remind you that our God, the God of heaven, specializes in mending and healing broken hearts. I have seen this so many times in my life. Even this last week, I was involved and talked about a couple of situations where it just seems hopeless almost, and you see God come and change lives and have people repent. And so he says, you can hang on to me in this. I'm not going anywhere, you can trust me. I will see you through to the end. So there's this pastor that I know well, and he was talking to this junior high-aged young man Young guy was the oldest in his family. And the boy was like really excited because he said to the pastor, we're going to be going on a family vacation soon. And, and uh, my brothers and sister and mom and dad are going together for a whole week. This happened a little while ago. And a couple of times he, he was so excited, he said, we're all going together as a family. And pastor was really touched by this. But as the little guy was talking... The pastor's thinking to himself, I've been here a long time and there's some things I know that you don't know. I know that there was a time in the life of your mom and dad where their relationship was about to crash and burn. And they had both traveled down the road, easily traveled. They'd avoided each other. They'd mistrusted. They had fostered hostile, hardened hearts towards one another. And one day they ended up at the pastor's door. They knocked at the pastor's door and said, we've heard that you know the name of a good lawyer that could help us end this horrible relationship. And instead the pastor invited them into the place. And God gave this pastor some wisdom. They prayed together. They processed a little bit. Eventually a Christian counselor was brought in and the couple agreed to try again. 
And quite frankly, it took them years of hard work. But they kept their marriage together, got it healthy, kept their family together. Friends, this is God's way. This is God's way. And so the pastor heard all of this from this young man. And so badly he wanted to say to this guy, you know, buddy, you have no idea how hard your parents work to keep your family together. And when you're sitting around the fire on your vacation having hot dogs together, I would love you to have the background story so you could go up to your mom and dad and say, on behalf of us kids, thanks for taking the road less traveled. God is proud of you and we love you. Amen.